Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. Today, I'd like to have a conversation about something, well, let's say anything other than politics. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to do in our conversation through this uh, show is talk about popular culture and some of the some of the films and TV shows and games that uh, become important in our pop culture lives and ask ourselves, well, how do those things have any kind of philosophical importance? Is there anything any deeper that's being expressed by these things? And so I thought a fun one to talk about actually would be Pokemon Go, which of course isn't quite as popular now as the kind of insanity that it seemed to inspire when it first came out, but it's still pretty popular. And I think there is some material of greater interest than, well, it's just a game about, you know, kidnapping little monsters and forcing them to fight against each other than it seems. In fact, I think that Pokemon Go actually reveals a fair amount of interest about economy and the way economy works, surprisingly. So firstly, I should say, full disclosure, I'm pretty obsessed with the game. Um, it kind of has almost everything that apparently I need to be actually addicted to a thing. Um, first and foremost, uh, collecting stuff, which is clearly a problem I have. Uh, so the fact that I can go and, and collect all of these things, um, and then the fact that in so doing, I can tell myself that I'm supposedly getting exercise while I do that, because I have this weird part of myself that also needs to feel like I'm, like games somehow need to make me better. I can't just have fun. I need to somehow improve as I'm doing this. So the fact that I can collect needlessly without actually cluttering my house and at the same time exercise uh, is just a terrible, terrible combination that has, has resulted me in, in my spending far, more, far too much time staring at a, at a cell phone while um, trying to capture digital monsters that, to be honest, I really knew nothing about until the game came out. So, well, that being said, what, what could actually be said of interest about this game? Well, of course, there is obviously the, the idea that it's based on kind of going out into the world, kidnapping cute little monsters, um, and then forcing them to fight against each other, um, though you don't really get the as much of the fighting component unless you go to the gyms out of Pokemon Go, but let's leave that aside. That's almost a little bit too easy. And thinking about it, one thing that I couldn't help but note is that Pokemon Go has almost an, an inherent problem. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a problem kind of built into the game <clears throat> that the game designers are always gonna have to struggle with. And this isn't uncommon really in anything that involves collecting, whether it's like Magic the Gathering or football cards or anything that we do that involves kind of collecting things that other people are also collecting too, has this inherent issue of basically what comes down to inflation. Hence why I think the game is interesting, economically speaking. So there is an economy issue in terms of the, a currency that is actually in the game, but they've kind of avoided worrying too much about inflation in the same way that you might, if you're playing something like World of Warcraft in which um, as people become increasingly more powerful in the game, they have greater and greater access to wealth in the game and thusly things become uh, cheaper as they 
as they get more powerful and the amount of money that you have becomes less and less impressive. So there's always this kind of having to one up oneself and the, the amount of money one has. Pokemon Go doesn't suffer from that as much because basically its currency is actually based on whatever actual currency we're using in terms of you pay money, actual physical money, well, let's say digital money that you keep in your bank to buy Poke coins, which then you can use to buy other things. And so as long as, as the dollar or whatever currency you're using to purchase in the game stays relatively stable, there's there's really isn't much of an economic concern there. The, the economic concern actually comes out in the objects that you're collecting themselves. In fact, in, in the Pokemon. So the game is kind of oriented around and the more of them that I can collect, the, the better I feel about myself, right? I've, I've got to catch all of them. The, the thing is though, certain Pokemon are a good deal more rare than others. And so you get to feel better than other people, if we're honest, when they have not been able to catch them and, and you have. And so I can, I can, my, I can ask my friends and I'm always a little timid about it. Oh, so have you caught anything interesting? And they'll say, oh, I've got, and then of course I get to say, oh, I've caught so many, I, I've got so many of those that I just delete them now. There's no point, right? And so, well, how does that connect with the way that we deal with economy? Well, basically what it comes down to is those things, those Pokemon that are exceedingly rare, as more and more people catch them, and as we catch more of them, they become simply less impressive. And as a result of the fact that more people have them, they become less desirable. There isn't as much need for it in terms of, I don't, if I say a Lapras is fairly rare, I don't need to keep a bunch of them to show people, haha, see, look how many I have. I just need at that point to keep like my one so that I can say that I have it in kind of my end game in terms of trying to collect each and every single one of them. So the problem becomes the more people who play and the longer they play, the less impressive whatever I've collected is. And so I'm in a constant battle with them, but interestingly, I'm also in something of a battle with myself. And I first noticed this when they had, uh, uh, when the game designers put out a pretty cool event for, the, uh, for Halloween. Um, for a few days over Halloween, uh, a fair number of Pokemon that were very rare normally, or at least pretty rare normally, we're just all over the place. And the first instinct is, oh, this is awesome, right? So certain ghostly Pokemon that you didn't, didn't see often were, were everywhere. And so these ghastlies are here and here and here and here. And if, and if you collect enough of them, you can, uh, you know, you can eventually get a, a, evolve them into a Gengar. And that's totally awesome because those were really hard to acquire. Well, long story short, I collected a, an obscene number of these ghost Pokemon to the point where I was no longer impressed, right? So I see it and it's not even worth the trouble because there became a point where even the rarest evolution that I could get as a result of collecting those initial um, lower level uh, Pokemon, I had a fair number of those too. So the Gengar are no longer impressive to me either because I'm 
I'm finding, oh, well, I've evolved five, six, seven, eight, ten of them at this point. I might as well just delete a few. What does it really matter? So I didn't even really have to compete with other people and recognize that, oh, they had all of these too, for me to recognize the value loss that had occurred because I had so much of it. And then you go, oh my God, that is, that is an inherent problem with our economy as a whole. Like that's not just a problem with Pokemon Go. That's a problem with our currency. That's a problem literally with the way that we construct the dollar. And it's kind of a secret, I think, that no one really wants to talk about. And don't, don't get me wrong, economics is complex and in many ways is far, 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 far beyond me. And if, but if we were to simplify it to kind of some of its core components, well, Pokemon Go does reveal something about it that we may not all be all that comfortable really talking about, which is the realization that's simply this. Our economy requires a basic fact, which is not necessarily held by every culture around the world, by the way, which is the idea that the fewer people who have a thing, the more valuable that thing is. In other words, the and in just in general, the less that there is of a thing, the more valuable that thing is. So the, the fewer instances of a Babe Ruth rookie card the better for the few people who happen to have them. In fact, there's always kind of that joke of, if you really want to make a lot of money, you, you buy up all of the instances of a really common uh, baseball card, buy every single instance you can, and then light them all on fire except for one. And then the baseball card that no one cared about suddenly is the only one, and that becomes incredibly valuable because for some reason we have this idea that um, if something is rare, it's then by default valuable. Now, not every culture in the world has always held that idea, right? There are there are those who have held the idea that um, the the wealthiest person isn't the person who has the most, but the person who actually gives away the most. So, uh, different kinds of economies. So, uh, you know, Native American economy in some cases might work in that way. Or um, you have the idea of a Catholic economy, right? That um, that the pursuit of individual wealth is actually a distraction uh, from a kind of monastic life, right? So especially in the Middle Ages, right? So that really the cash value of, of a thing is has nothing to do with its actual physical instantiation, but has more to do with um, how you're spending your time reflecting on God. But in our case, in our society, certainly, the rarer something is, the more valuable it is. And the more, so it only then stands to reason that the more people who have a thing, the less valuable to us that thing is. And basically, so what we're talking about is inflation at that point. And no one really wants to put inflation that way. We, we often actually look at inflation as a relatively good thing. We aim for a certain fairly small uh, amount of inflation uh, per year that that's seen as good for producing jobs and that's seen as good for um, increasing productivity because basically what we're talking about when we're talking about inflation is the idea that there's more money in the system. And as long as the amount of money in the system is, is, is growing a bit at a fairly consistent and constant rate, well then people are 
spending more money, thusly increasing demand, which is increasing production, which then requires that more people be hired, which means that more people and have jobs, which means that more people have money. So more money comes into the system, which means that they have more than that they could buy. And the cycle continues on and on and on. The, the Pokemon Go issue of the system though, that nobody really wants to talk about is the realization that the, basically what that means is our very notion of money is inherently grounded in the idea that not just should I have as much money as possible, but the amounts of money that I have and its worth is contingent upon other people not having. The worth of my money is increased when other people have less of it. In the same way that, you know, the more I have of a particular Pokemon, well, that's good. But if no one else has it, that's even better. And so what you realize is that there is an inherent concern with the realization that my being very wealthy isn't just amount of money uh, isn't just a matter of the amount of money that I have because what counted as very wealthy 50 years ago in terms of uh, maybe you know a million dollars it doesn't have the same value now so wealth isn't just a matter of number it's also a matter of what we recognize that um, that number can actually do and what we're willing to give you for that and how much stuff how many how, how much goods and services you can purchase with that the, with this number of dollars that you happen to have so if that's true right if what I'm saying in terms of this kind of analogy between Pokemon go and our basic economic notion is true then that means that the value of the dollar isn't just a matter of production and what it can purchase but the value of the dollar is in fact reduced the more dollars there are in the system. In other words, the more people who have dollars, the less valuable I think my dollar is. Now, maybe that's just a kind of inherent human selfish thing, right? Oh, well, if they have it too, it's not as valuable to me. But it's not just that, because there's also the realization that the more ghastlies I have, right? Or the more uh, laparous I have, the less impressed I am by my own wealth. So you realize, wow, maybe part of the reason why we're driven for more wealth is the same reason why we're driven for more Pokemon. Because when I have it, I'm less impressed by it. And so the more of it I have, the less valuable it even is to me. And I have to find some way to kind of validate that worth. And that there's an excellent chance that validating that worth probably comes at the realization that other people don't have it oh, well, other people don't have that, so that makes my what I have more valuable. Almost as if inspiring lust in others is what generates worth um, and value. And, and that isn't completely insane if we reflect on it, right, in terms of, well, if I have the big screen TV and someone else gets the big screen HD TV, well, then what I have is a little bit less impressive, and so I feel a need to get something that they don't have. I need a bigger screen, um, higher def television. And so we compete with our neighbors in that kind of a way. So on one hand, you realize, wow, does this mean that the American dream is actually impossible? And what a, what a sudden turn there, because if that's true, then that means that whilst we all believe that every single one of us actually can become wealthy, and we've all been taught that, 
growing up. Like, no, if you work hard, right, you can achieve it. And everyone has that opportunity. And the people who don't achieve it, that's their fault. They didn't work hard enough. And somewhere in the back of our heads, we know that probably isn't entirely true. Like all of us, if we're not, if we're not the person, we know the person who works that 18-hour day, seven days a week or more and can't get ahead because they don't have enough capital, cap, capital to invest. All of the capital that they are able to acquire immediately has to pay bills and take care of their children. And so their money can't just make money on its own. Whereas if I have a million dollars just excess, I can invest that money and I can continue to go work, but the money I've invested is also making money on its own. But the realization becomes, well, if everyone has a million dollars, a million dollars isn't really worth much at all. So maybe the belief that we have that everyone can achieve that isn't actually true. In fact, it kind of makes sense if you look at things like the average income today or even like the, the, the mode income or the median income. These are all much higher than they were 50 years ago, right? We hear these stories about, you know, oh, 70 years ago, you could buy an entire candy bar with a penny. And it's actually no joke. It's funny to even watch television shows from like the 1950s and look at the amount of money that they'll talk about. They'll say, you know, they'll have, be having some, some sort of financial issue in the sitcom, like in the Adams Family or something like that. And like, oh, we need, uh, we need to make a $100,000 investment. Go on, go to your web browser and look up um, conversion charts, right? You can just type in the amount of money. What, so the TV show, you know, say this was, it was in 1960, they're talking about $100,000. What does it mean today? And it's hugely different. I mean, it might be, and I'm just taking a shot in the dark here, but it might be like a million dollars today when they're talking about that much, much seemingly smaller sum then. So in other words, if people in the past could look at the amounts of money that basically are working poor are making now, they go, man, I'd kill to have that much, that much money. How do they have that much money and not consider themselves at least moderately well off? Because if Pokemon Go is any indication, because so many people now have that amount of money and that amount of money just exists in the first place, its value is decreased. It's decreased because there's more dollars out there, but also decreased because more people have them. Thusly, it's less impressive, right, to have it in the first place. So we're less inspired to give people goods and services for that amount of money. And also, if I'm the person selling something, I know that there's more money out there, so I can ask for more money for the stuff that I'm selling. It's not unreasonable to go, okay, well, people are making more money, so I can ask them to pay more money for the same stuff. Why wouldn't I? They have more of it, and um, thusly, it's also less valuable anyways, and so I need, to, uh, I need to ask for more of it to keep my business going. So if this is all the case, then there becomes a realization that everyone in the country actually, even if they busted their butts, cannot actually become a true millionaire. They could become... A literal millionaire, perhaps, but that million dollars wouldn't really matter much anymore. It'd be so. I mean, everyone in the United States might have access to a dollar, which back in the day was not an unimpressive um, amount of money, not something that you would just toss out. With regularity, we don't care if we lose a buck, you know, lose a couple of quarters here and there, no big deal. And so the realization becomes like, we can't all achieve it. If everyone had that kind of wealth, the economy would collapse. It, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to us. 
And so maybe part of the answer is, oh, well, but Nick, you're not really giving the economy a fair shake because the economy is, is also kind of following this idea of the invisible hand, at, right? So this really kind of at this point over-discussed um, concept posed uh, by Adam Smith, right? That there is um, an, in, an invisible hand, not literally, and certainly I think in many ways, not in the way that we even take it today, that's kind of help guiding the market. That, that's grounded in, in a reasonable proposition, right? That um, people will buy things that are in fact good for them and benefit them. And if those things aren't good for them or benefiting them, then they won't buy them. And in that way, the market punishes, so to speak, um, the selling of goods or services that are not as beneficial. Or if I'm charging too much for something and someone else can compete and charge less for it, again, the market is gonna account for that. People are gonna go to, um, to buy the less expensive um, item, which is the same item that's being sold of course, they're going to go to the less expensive one, and then the, and then the invisible hand is also going to help kind of um, uh, moderate this issue of supply and demand, right? When there's greater uh, uh, demand, you know, values uh, go up, right? When supply increases, value goes down, so on and so forth. I don't want to simply brush off the invisible hand and this idea that it'll always kind of help moderate everything. It's very simply, it just hinges on one thing. That isn't entirely true. There's a lot of ways in which the market does, in fact, self-regulate. Um, and some of our way of thinking about that is not entirely inaccurate. One thing, though, that we get a little bit off about it today when we talk about this idea of, the, oh, well, don't regulate anything. The uh, market itself will regulate it. Um, it'll be fine. Hinges on the idea that the market doesn't, at the end of the day, require consumers who are actually fallible human beings. We're run, we tend to run it almost as if it's a computer program or a computer simulation and just assume that everything's just going to make logical sense, right? As, as this demand increases, it's going to require an increase of supply and people aren't, people are always going to look to buy things that are in their best interest, so on and so forth. And so we should just let the market be free and let it control itself. But again, I think we can learn from Pokemon Go. Um, there's a fair amount of concern regarding how bad Pokemon Go can actually be for us and the fact that we don't care. Um, and what I mean by that is now when you turn on your Pokemon Go, it often will first pop up with this reminder, do not play while driving, which is an insane thing to have to remind people to do. And it's a temptation, right? Like as, as a Pokemon addict, there's this part of you that just wants to be like, but all I just have to do is turn it on. I'm driving. I'm not really looking at it. I'm only going to look at it if a Pokemon, it, you know, comes up. So they have a little, you know, warning. And, and, and they're doing, the programmers are doing these things that they're, to try and like keep people alive, you know, like, oh, now it has a warning. You're, you're going too fast. Are you driving? And you have to click like, oh no, I'm a passenger. And I wonder how often people lie. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm a passenger. I'm not driving at all. Um, and so they've, they made it harder so that there's things you really can't do while driving at certain speeds. So there's kind of no point. Like you can't just like drive past a Pokestop now and like click on it. Like 
you've got to be going slow enough for it for it to work. And all of this to prevent people from dying, because apparently people have been, or at least that they've been getting in accidents. Um, John Ayers of uh, San Diego University uh, was looking, they did like something like a 10-day study uh, using Twitter and looking at the instances of people mentioning Pokemon Go with like incidents in cars. And apparently there was like 100,000 or a hun like 130,000 incidences. Um, not necessarily accidents, right? But uh, a fair number of accidents too, but um, incidences at least where people were complaining about like this person was driving crazy because they were on their Pokemon Go or I had to tell them that they needed to speed up because they were going too slowly or that they were, they were going too slow or they were in the wrong lane or something along that lines. So at least a fair number of potential accidents occurring. Um, so the realization is then that human beings are so incredibly silly that we have to be told by the games that we're playing not to endanger our lives and the lives of other people when we're catching little fake digital monsters. And that's that's insane and, and hysterical. It's almost Darwinian. Like It's almost like, what if the Pokemon Go people were like, you know, here's a way to get rid of bad drivers. Um, unfortunately, a whole lot of innocent people might be taken out at the same time. So anyways, long story short, what this seems to suggest is, is that this idea that people will, in fact, do what's in their best interest and we shouldn't regulate it at all and the market will just regulate for itself doesn't seem to be entirely true, which is why there's this growing field of what's called behavioral economics, which suggests that we have to be more careful with economies than we think because people don't always do what's in their long-term best interest. People being willing to drive while playing Pokemon Go, let's be really honest, does not mean that people actually value Pokemon Go over their lives. And that seems to be kind of our way of dealing with things like, I don't know, foods that are really bad for us and cigarettes. Like, listen, people want to buy them. That's them saying that they care about cigarettes more than their lives. And we need, in fact, to, to respect that. And there's no need to regulate it. They're making a rational decision. But I think it's a little silly if we look at something like Pokemon Go to say, no, 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 really, these people are saying they don't care if they kill other people. That's what they're actually what they're actually saying there. They do care. People just have trouble viewing consequences. And there's a lot of studies that show that, that we have difficulty kind of understanding and viewing consequences. So if our economic system is always hinges itself on the idea that people will always do the, 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 the thing that's in their best interest, well, then our economic system, in fact, has an inherent flaw because we don't always do what's in our best interest. And sometimes we have to be regulated and the game has to tell us not to do it. And I, the, and I guess the last thought I want to leave us with is I wonder how many people are annoyed at Pokemon Go for that, right? Like how many people are like, oh, this socialist game, this is a free market economy. How dare they tell me how to drive, you know, and it's making the game harder and I can drive just fine. And I would love to get a sense of if any accidents has happened accidents happened as a result of that, where people were like, no, this is stupid. They shouldn't get to tell us this. I get to make my free decision. I don't want any regulation on my Pokemon Go. I want to be able to catch the Pokestats and the Pokemon while, I, while I'm driving. That's my free choice. And I wonder how many people end up thinking like that and then end up killing themselves or killing somebody else. So anyways, so there's just a few thoughts on how Pokemon Go might in fact actually uh, reflect on our economy and our way of looking at uh, human beings and human action in economy. Um, so it's been great having this conversation with you and I hope you have a fantastic week.